everyone. Hey, was it a slip of the tongue or did you just call me our camp location pastor? <laughs> it was a slip of the tongue. Okay, yeah, all right. You're forgiven, mate. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Why don't you take a seat? Thanks, Musos. My goodness, Ezekiel, come here. Doesn't he look splendid? You, you look like, like the, the narwhal of Darjeeling or something like that. Yeah. Takes me back to the halcyon days of the Raj in British India. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I just think he's added some, some sort of um, some subcontinental splendor to the day, don't you think? My goodness. And, and wasn't our Mission Sunday a great day? I don't know if it was here, but it was at Collingwood Park. We had, we had a, I don't know, the folks at Collingwood Park, because we've got such an ethnically diverse range of people, they do the international food market really well. There was something like 17 different nations represented. And it was like a bazaar in Marrakesh. You know, we, we, had, we had food passed by the health authorities and artefacts made by ethnic minorities. It was, it was just really a, a day that, that they grasp and take to another level. And, and the food was incredible. Yeah. So why don't, we, why don't we get to the word this morning? I just want to pray and then we'll start. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord God, what you speak to us, Lord. And today we pray that you would open our ears to hear clearly what you're saying to us, Lord God. We know that you are not silent. We know that you want to bring heaven to earth and that we are your vehicles, Lord God. And we pray that you would clear the mechanism, Lord God, for that transference of your intention to us this morning. In Jesus' name. We all say? Great. Hey, you know, a few years ago, I, I just stopped listening to the news. It was just too depressing. You know what I mean? There's all this chaos and fear being poured out into our living room, and, and it, just got, it just got messed up, you know. I mean, we have things from other continents coming in and messing up our day, right? And you know why that is? Why, we, why do we hear that? It's one reason. To lift our anxiety levels, to make us more anxious, to make us more fearful, to make us as scared as the people who were there. That's why it happens. So we can be just as anxious as the places that, where all this stuff happens. But at the same time, there's a counteractive download from heaven. God is speaking too. All this stuff, this garbage comes to us, but there's a flow of, of perfect communication that comes from God the Father. And we live in a time where it's probably more important perhaps than ever to know that voice, to hear that voice. There's, there's so much going on that we need to actually have the clear and, and uh, wonderful word of God. There was a, an expression that um, Jesus used in, when he was uh, being tried by Pilate. Pilate was asking him about his, he said, are you a king? And Jesus said, yeah, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, my servants would have fought for it. They would have gone to battle for it. And the word that he used as servants there is a Greek word that he only ever used once in the whole New Testament. Only ever used it once. Never used it before and never used it again. It's the word huperates. And normally the word for servant in the Greek is a bondservant. But this time Jesus used a different word. Huperates. It means the under rower. 
Now, this would be a familiar term to people in, in the Middle East because the under rower sat on the lowest level of the Roman war galleys that docked in all the ports. The under rower was the person who gave momentum to the ship, who gave it force. And the under rower had to hear clearly from the rowing captain what was going on. He had to hear a clear signal to know what was going on. This was particularly true in battle. When the Roman war galleys were in battle, they had to manoeuvre. They had to do tight turns and, and, and get into places that, that were difficult. And, it, and the rowers on the bottom floor of the galley needed to know what was going on. And the, the captain had to send a clear signal. And Jesus uses this picture of servants, his servants, us, needing to know, here we're back, needing to know exactly what's going on, exactly what's going on from the rowing captain. So there's this picture of God speaking to his servants, communicating with them, letting them know what's going on, letting them know how to manoeuvre in battle, how to cope with what was coming at them. And that was the under rower. He had to hear clearly from God. He had needed to know the voice of the, of the rowing captain, as we do. And this was God's intention right from the start, that there would be a clear communication between him and his creation, between him and his humans. In the Garden of Eden, that was the case. Adam and Eve met with God and they spoke with him and he spoke back and there was, there was communication while they were hanging around in the Garden of Eden in that state of perfection, which, was, can, which can be defined in a nutshell as being naked and being able to eat anything you want. That's perfection as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but um, that was God's intention, that there would be this communication to the people. He would speak to them, they would speak back, they would, they would find out stuff from him. And then it, he took it another step further. When he raised up a nation, Israel, they were, they were trapped in slavery in Egypt, and he brings them out through a man. And they go to Mount Sinai, and God announces his intention, again, to reestablish that one-on-one communication with the human race, with his nation Israel. He says to them, you will be a nation of priests. Priests have connection with God. But they said, no, 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 that, you're too scary, God. We just want you to speak to Moses and he'll communicate what you want to us. We just, just give us the bare minimum. Give us the minimum requirements. Give us, if you can keep it to 10, 10 rules, that would be good. And that's what they got. They got 10 rules instead of face-to-face communication with God the Father. But Moses had it. The Bible tells us that Moses communicated with God face-to-face, and there was that flow backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards of, the, of, of communication between the two. Even in that prophecy that Jesus uses in Isaiah 61, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to, to, to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the restoration of sight to the blind. Even in that prophecy that Jesus pulls down from the book of Isaiah when he's announcing himself as the Messiah in Israel, even that contains the, the God's intention that you will be named priests of the Lord. So that's us. That's in the future. It's in the, in the, 
the prophetic book of Isaiah, and that's us. We will be named priests of the Lord because we are responsible for our city. We can hear from God for our city. We can change the face of our city by hearing that direct flow from the throne. Can you say amen? Look, I realize that you're a cool and sophisticated crowd here, but you can loosen up a little bit and you know, come back to me. Shout me down. See, now Jesus takes a passage of scripture and he, he describes this whole scenario and how it works, how according to the voice of God, we can grow and we can, we can, we can move along. We can have the character of Jesus formed in us. And it's found in the book of John chapter 10. It's, uh, it's, just, it's not many verses, so I'll read it together. Starting at verse 1, John chapter 10, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter this sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And drop down, drop down to verse 27. Verse 27 and 28, it says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now this looks like, to the naked eye, a discussion on animal husbandry practices in the Middle East. But it's actually Jesus taking us through the whole process of hearing from God, hearing, hearing his voice, and being his sheep, and knowing what we have to do as his sheep. The whole idea here is that Jesus would lead us into something he calls abundant life. And that would be brought about by us hearing his voice and following it. Now, let's start with abundant life. Some translations say life to the full. Others say a rich and satisfying life. The word abundant means more than, beyond what is anticipated, going past what is expected. Whatever it means, it means better than it is now. Yeah? Abundant life is better than it is now because everything God does is always improving. It always improves itself. It's not a new life. You didn't, when you got saved, you didn't wake up and find you had a new job, new wife, new house, different kids, and everything was hunky-dory. It wasn't like that at all. God adds value to your life. He improves it. That's what he does. God doesn't change your circumstances. He starts the process of changing us, and that's called growth, yeah? The Apostle Paul said he labors until Christ is formed in us, the character of Christ. That's what's happening. We tend to think of abundant life is something to do with money, that it's somehow connected to wealth. I mean, if we just had enough money, 
then we could have an abundant life. It'd be really good. But what if it's not that you're wealthy enough to own a mansion on a hill? What if it's not being master of all, all you survey? What if it's knowing the full extent of the capacities that God's placed in you? What if it's exploring your full potential, using the full measure of your gifting and, and, and delving into the full range of your emotional capacity? What if it's that, to be the best version of you that you can be? See, we don't understand how Jesus gives us life. And at the same time, we don't understand that there's a thief that wants to destroy that. The term abundant life doesn't appear in this passage by accident. Jesus puts it in there because it's always eternally linked to us being in connection with God. Having that abundant life is is a direct result of being in connection with him. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He He calls out his own sheep by name and he leads them out. This is the assumption that Jesus is making, that we have the capacity to hear from God, to hear what he's doing, to hear what he's saying, to hear what he wants to do, to hear his will for us. You know, most people think that hearing from God is, is hearing something about somebody else or about something else or hearing what God thinks of us. But what God wants, wants to reveal to us is him, him. He wants us to know his nature. Because the Bible says when we behold him, we are transformed. When we understand who God is, what his nature is, how he, then, then we can frame a, a picture of how we fit into that. When we know him, when we know who he is, when we know his nature. See, Jesus is painting a picture here of how life comes to us. He says, I've come to give you life, and the way that you can have that life is by hearing his voice. But the thief comes to steal and destroy. That life that Jesus wants us to have, it's opposed. Some years back, uh, we had some trees chopped down in our yard and we had them chipped and I had this whole pile of, big pile of bark chip laying on the ground outside my back fence. And, and I remember it was a, a Friday evening and, um, and it was just, just about to get dark, and I could hear our dogs barking, and, and I wonder what was going on. So I, I looked out the back window, and I saw this four-wheel drive pulled up to my pile of bark chip with a trailer. And there were these two guys with shovels, and shoveling madly, like, you know, shoveling like criminals they were. <laughs> and anyway... I, I figured a way that I could get to them without them seeing me coming. So, so I snuck down along the fence, around the pool fence, and then, and then I was still out of their line of sight. And I just materialised behind them and I said, what are you doing, fellas? <laughs> and the, the guy closest to me, he nearly threw the shovel out of his hand. He went, ah, like that. Yeah. I said, what are you doing with me bark chip? And they said, oh, oh, we thought it was the, the, the councillor left it here and we, we were just, we just going to take some. And I said, I said, look, I had plenty. There was plenty, more than I could ever use. So I said, look, it's mine. It's not the council's, but have a trailer load, but that's all. It's magnanimous, right? Yeah. 
What a guy. Yeah. And, and so... And so they did. They just took it and they said, oh, thanks, mate. You know, no worries. And then they filled up their trailer and, and off they went. And all the time I was talking to this guy, the other guy, was, he was shoveling madly. You know, he, he, I'm going to get as much as I can, you know. Uh, and and when, I, when I sort of wandered back to the house, the kids said to me, you, you didn't get upset with them. And I didn't. But, but some of us have that attitude to the real thief. We don't get upset enough with him. We don't get upset enough with the thief who wants to come to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to take everything because he hates God and, and by relationship, he hates us. Yeah? You understand that? That's the way he tries to do it. He tries to become the voice that you will listen to rather than God. He tries to displace the voice of God in our life and he, do, and he does it through other people. He does it through people we love. He does it through teachers and coaches and people in authority who say things to us who, that stay with us and that those spoken words become a voice in our life that dominates our thinking rather than the voice of God. And that has the, the, the power to transform us in the opposite direction to what God wants. Do you understand that? If we go back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, we can, we can see that. We can see what he tries to do. You see, there's Adam and there's Eve. There's two humans in the garden and two trees in the garden. And we know what happens. Eve is deceived and by this serpent-like creature and she eats the whatever it is fruit and... From then, she gives it to Adam, and they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the tree of separation, and then God comes. And he he provides a thorough examination of what just happened. The Bible says that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Hey, what kind of relationship is that? I mean, not, not, not just hearing God's voice, but hearing his footsteps. That's intimacy. That's the state of intimacy that mankind was created in. They knew what God's footsteps sounded like. Such was the depth of their relationship. Anyway, they hid from God and God says to them, where are you? Now this wasn't God being doddery, having misplaced his humans or something like that. This was God saying, what state are you in? He's saying, how did you get in a place where you're not with me. That's what he wants us to be in, a place where we're with him. The whole point of this is connection with God. It's relationship. It's not a transactional thing. When you got saved, it wasn't like God said to you, okay, there it is, got it, off you go, good luck with that. No, he wanted to communicate with you regularly, adjust the trajectory of your life, fix this thing, take this thing out of your life, displace other voices. That's what he wanted to do. It's an ongoing thing. It's not good luck and on your way. And Adam says to God, I heard you and I was afraid because I was naked. And God says, who told you? Who told you you were naked? What voice informed your identity? What voice have you allowed into your life that has stolen life from you. 
in my experience, a lot of people believe in Jesus, but go through life never actually hearing his voice. They do hear his voice, but they don't actually recognize it. See, when Pastor John gets up and preaches here on a Sunday morning, you're actually hearing his voice. You're hearing the word of God preached. You can hear his voice when you read your Bible. You can hear, your vo- hear his voice when you're in a discussion in life group. You can hear his voice by, in, a, in a, a phone call to a friend. His voice is never silent. It's always going on. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've accepted his offer of salvation, then you've heard his voice at least once. What did that feel like? What were the circumstances like? What pushed you towards accepting that offer of salvation? Think about that. Think about those circumstances. Think about the environment you're in. Think about what was going through your head. That is how God speaks to you. He draws you. Please don't think you're going to hear an audible voice, although it it does happen. God can speak to you in any number of ways. Four quick ones, all starting with P, prompting. He pushes you towards something. You know, you might, you might hear the same song three times in a day. You think, oh, gee, is something going on there? Something going on there. Pictures. He puts pictures in your mind. Preaching. He uses preaching to deliver his word into your life. And people. People deliver God's word into your life. In, in Centro Church, we don't have a God said culture. We don't say, walk around saying, God said to me this. God said to me that. You know, I have people who, who have who've come into my office and sat down and said, God's told me to do this. And I said, well, why are you here? Do you want my input? Do you want, you know, I mean, if God's told you, yeah, yeah you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit short of God at the moment. Uh, yeah, when, when, you, when you think you hear from God, it's always good to invite into that scenario other voices, voices you trust, a life group leader, people in your life group, pastors, that's, that sort of thing. And, and it's good to submit it to God and, and, get a, and get clarity on that. That's a process we like to follow. God told me, doesn't give you anywhere to go. And, and I've had people sit there and tell me God told me, and it's like they... they absolutely want it to be God that told them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Prompting, pictures, preaching, people. There's a template in the Old Testament that shows us how this whole process works. And it's, it's this season in the life of Elijah. It's in 1 Kings 17. We're just going to read it quickly. It's uh, beginning at verse 2. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. See, God speaks to the prophet Elijah, and he tells him to go to a place, a different place from where he's at now. He does, and then God supplies him. God fills that season. He makes that, 
he, he makes his life abundant in that season. In order to see the miraculous, he had to move from where he was to another place. He had to move from here to there. He had to go from his own experience to beyond his experience and, and move towards something new. And God meets him where? He meets him there. So he's moved from here to there. And after a while, Elijah's there becomes his here. He fulfills that season. God fulfills his promise. And then it, things start to evaporate. Things start to slow down. The brook dries up. So God speaks to him again and gives him a new there. So he moves from his first there, which has now become his here, to a new there, if you follow. So there's a cycle in the way that God installs his purpose into our lives. And it means moving from here to there. But in order to know, move from here to there, we have to know what there is. And we need to hear the voice of God. And some of you, I would suggest, I don't say this by any revelation, I say it by the law of averages, some of you have been in your there for too long. It's time to move from, it's become a here, and it's been a here for a long time. So it's time to find a new there. Yeah? Move to a new there. So you need to go where the miracles are. You need to move where there's kingdom usefulness for your life. He wants you to go beyond where you are now and he takes you there by letting you hear his voice. He wants you to experience something new that grows you, that makes you closer to him. This is really illustrated in, in one of my, my favorite movies, actually my favorite movie. It's a movie called Field of Dreams. Anyone? 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 You? Love it? Brilliant cinematography. Kevin Costner who stars in all great baseball movies, is in this movie. He stars as a guy called Ray Kinsella. And it says in, in, in the, the preamble, Kevin Costner says this in the preamble, and, and it's my, the, what I use on my Twitter profile, but until I heard the voice, I'd never done a crazy thing in my whole life. And that's, that's really the essence of the movie. That's how it goes. One day, Ray is walking through his cornfield and he hears a voice. It's a, it's a bit of a creepy voice, but it's not a scary voice. And the voice says, if you build it, he will come. And, and, and Ray is confused and, and, he, and he asks the voice for clarification and he doesn't get any. So the voice comes again another day and he hears the voice, if you build it, he will come. He says, build what? And so he looks up and he sees a vision of a baseball field in his corn paddock. This is, yeah, it gets weird, doesn't it? Yeah. But so to cut a long story short, he plows under some acreage of his corn farm and builds a baseball field. And what happens is baseballers who are dead start turning up there and playing baseball. But anyway, Ray hears the voice again. He hears the voice say, ease his pain. And so he goes on a road trip to Boston. When he gets to Boston, he hears the voice again that says, go the distance. And so he goes to Minnesota where he meets with Burt Lancaster in his last cinematic role as Moonlight Graham. I sound like Bill Collins, I know. <laughs> and, and he gets instruction there. And then he finally goes home and, and the movie unwinds. And it's not up until the last couple of minutes that the movie actually sort of 
resolves and you see where it's going and there's no indication all the way through that it's going there. But what he does is he hears the voice and he moves from here to there. And then he hears the voice again and he moves from the there, which is now the here, to a new there and, and, and his life improves. What happens is that every time he hears the voice, there's momentum in his life. And he rides the wave of that momentum until it diminishes and then he hears the voice again. And there's new momentum in his life. And when, that's, that's the whole point of hearing from God. Hearing from God gives you momentum in your life. Where do you need to be? Ride the wave of that momentum and then as it diminishes, as it evaporates, God speaks again. So important to listen to the voice because it brings momentum. Four quick things to help you. Four quick things that we can do to hear God's voice, to make sure that we're in a position to hear God's voice. Four things that we can do every day if we want to, if there's a desire. The first thing is make an appointment. Give yourself an appointed time where you shut everything down and you just get with God. Make an appointment. Work out the best time for you to make that appointment. Work out when you are at your best and make it then. You know, for some people, it's in the morning. It's a good thing to do it in the morning because you, you can start your day out, get it out of the way, it's done, and then busyness that occurs through the day won't creep in and crowd it out. So make an appointment. Maybe in the morning doesn't suit. Maybe at night suits. Like I, I come home from work and I find my wife and she has it down to a fine art. Like she's been doing daycare all day and so she's finished and she's pottering around the house and she has this apron on with a big pocket in it where she has her iPad and headphones into her ears and she's listening to worship music. So that's what she's doing. She's, she's, she's having her, her time but try and talk to her and she just it's like you, she can't hear me because she's got the headphones in hello dear I'm home it's me it just just doesn't work but that's her time that's the time that she uses make an appointment the best time is when you're at your best I find the pool deck at night is very good it's dark it's quiet there's bats flying overhead but they tend to miss me but that's my place. Make an appointment. The second thing is be still. Be still. Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes we don't get to know that he's God until we become still. The, one of the ancient practices of the early church was centering prayer, to become still before God, to just spend... A short time every day in the morning, just just getting still before God, centering prayer. It sort of it sort of became went out of fashion, but the uh, the the Franciscan contemplatives still follow it. They still do that. They they teach centering prayer where you take twenty minutes early in the day and you just be still before God, and and it's good to be still because we are busy people. There's so much movement. Be still and be quiet. You've only, got to, you've only got to 
stand in a worship service to know we want to be, we want to be loud, yeah? We want to be loud. But there's times when God requires us to be quiet because there's so many noises, so many voices coming in that, that we just can't hear him. It's too much activity. And the third thing is listen. Give him silence to speak into. We often think of times before God as where we petition him, when we ask him for a whole lot of things, when we do all the talking and none of the listening. But he wants to to meet with you. He wants to tell you how much he loves you. He wants to tell you his plan for you. And he wants to tell you mostly about him, his nature. The fourth thing, pray and read and journal. If you go onto our website or our app, you will find a ready-made meet God every day, hear his voice package, and we call it SOAP. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. It's there for you. We, have, we, have, we follow the Bible. Every, we follow the same readings year in, year out. You can go through the Bible in two years, and you will go through it. And the idea is that you, you read the Scripture, you pull out, a verse that's, that's actually speaking to you. Maybe it gets hot to you. You pull out that verse. Write that scripture down. What is your observation? What are you observing from that scripture? What do you think God is saying from that scripture? And how do you then apply it? So scripture, observation, application. How do you then apply it to your life? And then you close the session with prayer. I like to write, I like to add one more thing to that. It's my own personal preference. I like to add one more thing, and that is, what does the answer to that prayer look like? How do I know when that prayer is answered? So really, I have SOPA, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer, Answer. SOPA, yeah. So there, there it is. It's ready made for you. Journal. But apart from that, journal what you think God is saying to you. In, if, you, if you're driving down the street and you think God's saying something, write that down. Write that down where you can access it. I know people who have got journals of what God has spoken to them for 30 years that they can go back and look at. And that, oh yeah, that's right, this is when that happened. So there's four things. Make an appointment. Be still. Listen. Pray, read, and journal. You know, Pastor Bill Hybels from Willow Creek in America pastors a huge church and he tells a story of, of a man in his church who was there right almost from the beginning. He was an advertising executive, very high-powered guy, made a lot of money. And Pastor Bill spoke one morning on connecting with God, taking that time to connect with God. And this guy came up to him after the, the service and he said, look, that might be all right for you. He said, but I just, I don't have time. I can't do that. I, I, what do you say to that? And Bill said to him, well, he said, I, I, I find time for the things in my life that I place value on. And the guy said, all right. And he, and he went away. And about six weeks later, he asked Pastor Bill and his wife to come over for dinner. And they did. And he, and he, he, he dragged Pastor Bill away and said, come and see this. And he had set up a room in his house with a, with a big rocking chair, an expensive rocking chair, which overlooked his back deck and then some some shrubbery and that sort of thing. So he he picked a place and he picked a way. 
And he says, I've been meeting with God every day in the rocking chair, in this place. It's what I do. And sometime later, he came again and said, I believe that, that God is wanting me to get out of the real estate, uh, the advertising industry and, and come and help you build the church. And Pastor Bill said to him, well, none of us get a salary. You know, we're, we're, just, we're just building this place. And he said, that's all right. He said, I've done well from advertising and I'll, I'll, I want to do this. And so he comes in and he becomes uh, a very valued member of their staff. And eventually he, he's on the payroll and he does this for, for years and years. And then finally he comes again and he says, look, I, I really believe my, that God's saying to me that I've got to go and start a church with my friend in another state. And so he did that. And all these things were successful. All of these things came out of his daily practice of setting time aside to hear God and sit in that rocking chair. And, and, and finally, he, he takes a diagnosis to the rocking chair, a cancer diagnosis. And he, and he brings it before God and he says, God, you see this? What can you do? And it, it seemed that God didn't do anything and the man died and Pastor Bill went and went to the funeral and, um, and the wife of the man said to him this rocking chair is, it means something it means something in our family it means your, the, our, our husband father's connection with God happened in that rocking chair and, and she wanted to pass it on to the next generation what a great thing to pass on to the next generation isn't that, wouldn't that be something if you could pass on one thing to the members of your family? Pass on that daily connection with to hear his voice, to do what he wants, to follow the direction that he has for us, to live in that place of abundant life. Wouldn't that be great? Let's pray. Look, this morning I wonder if, if, if you're struggling if you're struggling to hear the voice of God, if you're struggling to get in a place where you can connect with Him, then I just really want to pray for you. I want to, want to pray for clarity in, in your life, for clarity in your, your day where you can actually meet and connect with God. If that's you, why don't you just shoot me up a hand? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Yeah, I see that one. Anyone else? Yep, yep. Okay, all over the place. Yeah. Father, this morning, Lord God, you see every hand that's been raised, Lord God. You know their daily grind, Lord. You know the clutter that's in their lives, Lord. You know the desire that's in their lives, Lord, to, to meet with you. And Father, we just pray for clarity. We just pray for a clear voice. We just pray for your organizational ability to come into this situation, each one of them, Lord God, and make a way. Father, we thank you for abundant life. We thank you because you speak to us and you lead us into that. We thank you that you have all that for us, Lord God. And we want to access it today in Jesus' name. We say...